All right, well, take your Bibles, and we're going to open up to Micah chapter 5 this morning. Micah chapter 5, the children have done a great job of setting the stage for us this morning as we uh, continue in our Christmas series this year, finding hope, peace, joy, and love in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to jump into Micah chapter 5 as we are finding peace in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, thank you so much for being here. If you came expecting a children's play and then getting to go home, ha, we got you. You got to hear me preach before you get to go home. But it is good to have you this morning. In all seriousness, thank you for being here. And uh, we'll bring the kids in at the end so y'all can give them a standing ovation and a round of applause in just a little bit. But let's go ahead and jump into Micah chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 1 so that we get context. And in the text, we're going to see three ways that we can find peace by focusing on the ruler who would reign forever in the hearts of his people. So let's look now. Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The prophet Micah says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With the rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are little to be, uh, excuse me, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. And when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us all together this morning. We thank you for the children. We thank you for the play that, Lord, they just performed for us that depicted the coming and the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, now as we look back in the book of Micah, we get to see a prophecy of that exact event that you told the Israelites, that you assured your people was going to come and that Jesus would be their peace. He would deliver them from their enemies. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this text this morning, we would not only understand it in light of Israel, but we would also understand it in light of who we are and what it means for us this morning. We love you and we praise you. We surrender ourselves to you now. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the text again, we're going to see three ways in which we can find peace by focusing on the ruler who will reign in the hearts of his people forever. So as we begin, we see that we can find peace by focusing on his sovereignty. Now, verse 1 of chapter 5, if you notice, it tells of a bad day that is coming for the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, it tells Israel to ready your troops because a besiege is coming. Someone is coming to conquer and take over the nation of Israel. And it actually says that the king or the judge is going to be slapped in the face with a rod. 
And what this foretells of is the coming Assyrian conquest of the nation of Israel. And it even points to the Babylonian conquest of the nation of Israel that was going to happen soon thereafter this prophecy was told. As a matter of fact, it was Babylon that came in under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar actually commanded his troops to strike the last king of Judah, Zedekiah, on the face with a rod. And that famously caused Zedekiah to go blind as Babylon came in and conquered the nation of Israel. And what Micah is doing, what God is doing through the prophet Micah, is he is declaring to the nation of Israel... That judgment is going to come. But even in the midst of judgment, God is going to keep his promises. God is going to deliver the nation of Israel. And that even through judgment, God is going to prove that he alone is sovereign. Thus, Israel can take comfort in in remembering that God is sovereign even in the midst of their judgment. And that's exactly what we see in verses 2 and following this morning as God gives them a message of great hope for the future that is to come. As a matter of fact, look with me in the text beginning back in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, those you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. You see, God is promising hope for Israel, and it's all going to start in a little town of Bethlehem. A town that is too little to be of any kind of significance. A town that is too small to even be named among the clans of Judah. However, this birthplace of David is going to also be the birthplace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is to Bethlehem that God is going to send the Messiah that will redeem the nation of Israel. And what we find is that this speaks to who God is in his sovereignty. Notice when it describes this one who will be born in Bethlehem. It says, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. This speaks to both the eternal existence of Jesus as the word of God that becomes flesh and it also speaks to the eternal plan of God that this was always the plan that God had from the beginning of creation. You see, too often we come to the Christmas message, we come to the birth of Jesus and we think that this is God's latest plan. I want to encourage you, this is God's only plan. This was the plan of God for the salvation of mankind. As a matter of fact, if you remember back to the words of God in Genesis 3.15, God speaking to the serpent right after the fall of mankind, he promises this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what we call the first proclamation of the gospel, the first inference that God had a plan from the very beginning and that God was going to send his descendant through the seed of a woman or through the, through the womb of a woman and that one day his offspring would crush the head of Satan underneath his foot even after having been bit on the hill and going to the cross. And so what we find is that even in the midst of God's judgment, God was sovereign over the nation of Israel. And I want to encourage you, God is sovereign over us today. Amen. In all that goes on in the world, in all the circumstances, both good and bad, that we we find ourselves in, I want you to remember today that God is sovereign. 
But what we see is that even though God was sovereign, God's judgment was still going to come. Notice what it says in verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time. Now, God is going to give up the nation of Israel to judgment until his pre-appointed time. Matter of fact, we see historically God gives up the nation of Israel three different times during this uh, prophecy. One, he's going to give them up to the Assyrians for conquest in 701 B.C., Shortly thereafter, in 588 B.C., he's going to give them up to Babylon for judgment and captivity as well. And then most of us remember that it was 400 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ that God last spoke to the nation of Israel. And so God gives them up for a period of silence where due to his divine judgment, God doesn't communicate to the nation of Israel. And this prophecy foretells of those events that God's going to give them up for a period of time in order to allow them to be judged. But God's judgment doesn't last forever for Israel because God is faithful to keep his promises. As a matter of fact, look at the prophecy in verse 3. It says that he's going to give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Now, the she who is in labor, it sounds really good to say that's Mary, but most likely this is a reference to Israel as a nation, but certainly Mary is depicted in this. Because there is coming a day when she, Israel, when she, even Mary, is going to give birth to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And he is going to rescue Israel from their judgment. He's going to redeem the people of God. Judgment isn't going to last forever. As a matter of fact, notice the rest of verse 3. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This speaks of that faithful remnant of Israel that always remains faithful and true to the plan of God. And that upon Jesus' birth, that faithful remnant is going to come back to the nation of Israel. And not only the faithful remnant of Israel, but all who will put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is going to gather together God's children. Amen? And if you're here this morning, and you've put your faith and trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you are one of his children. And Jesus has come to gather you together for his kingdom, to gather us together as the people of God. And that's one of the main reasons we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. is because he is God's gift to us so that we can be brought back into the family of God. And so what we find is that God is sovereign in bringing about the salvation of his children. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, as we try to find peace amidst the chaos, we can find peace by focusing on the sovereignty of God in all things. And so we can find peace by focusing on his sovereignty. But then notice in verse 4, we can find peace by focusing on his shepherding. Look with me in verse 4. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Verse 4 tells us that this ruler is going to be like David. And that not only is he going to be king. But he's going to be a shepherd king. 
Now, he's going to be a king in that he's going to rule over the nation of Israel, but he's going to be a shepherd in that he is going to care for his flock. Notice, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He will have majesty and power in the name of the Lord, his God. His people will dwell secure and he shall be great and rule to the ends of the earth. The question is, when will all this happen and when will all this be realized? Well, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes onto the scene in verses 14 and 15, and here's what he declares. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus begins his ministry by declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has begun. The problem is that the nation of Israel, like many during that time, didn't understand exactly what Jesus meant. They they assumed that the Savior would come and that he would be an earthly king who would rule in political dominance. He would rescue Israel from their oppressors, oppressors, which were Rome at the time. And so the Jews missed it. Even the people of God missed it for a while because they were looking for a king that would be an earthly king. But that's not what God had promised. Remember, God had promised a king that would reign for all of eternity. In other words, God had promised a divine king. Amen? Not an earthly king, but a divine king who would reign for all of eternity. Thus, Jesus comes onto the scene and he declares the kingdom of God is at hand. It has begun. And how do you become citizens of that great kingdom? He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent of your sins. And believe in who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished that we declare as the good news of the gospel. And then later he tells his disciples in verse 17, follow me. Because that's what a disciple does. A disciple follows their leader. Amen? And so what Jesus declares here is that the kingdom of God has begun already. Now, However, God promised that the kingdom of God has begun. We understand that the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. But what we do find is that the king who would reign over his people would also be a shepherd for his people. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for the flock. He leads them to green pastures. He makes sure they're fed. He protects them from their enemies. Well, remember the words of Jesus. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us, amen? He came not just to be born in a manger, but he came ultimately to go to the cross to die and to lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I have come to lay down my life for the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done. He's laid down his life for the sheep so that us, his sheep, could have forgiveness of sins. So that we could be ushered into the kingdom of God. That we could become the sons and daughters of God. And what we have found, what the Jews missed, is that Jesus wasn't referring to an earthly kingdom. Jesus was referring to an eternal kingdom that is to come. As a matter of fact, Jesus declares, or Peter declares in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's what Peter says. One day the chief shepherd is going to come back. Amen? He came once to die on the cross as the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. 
But then he ascended back into heaven, proving that he was in fact the Son of God who overcame and conquered death and the grave. But we know that although he is currently seated at the right hand of God, he won't stay there. One day he's going to come back as the chief shepherd. And upon that day, we will receive the unfading crown of glory as he establishes forever his eternal kingdom. And what we find is that even then, God will be shepherding us as his people. You see, we don't just have a king that reigns over us. We have a king that shepherds us, that leads us, that feeds us, and that protects us. Amen? And even though we wait for the day that Christ will return, I want you to understand we have not been left to fend for ourselves until that time. As we've been studying as a church prior to the Christmas season, the doctrine or the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we've learned that God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us so that we would not be orphans, but that we would have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us to lead us, to feed us, and to protect us from our enemies. Amen? We learn from the New Testament that God even gifts the church with pastors who are also known as under-shepherds to lead, feed, and protect the flock. God has not left us on our own. God has provided for us because he is our good shepherd. And why would God bother? Why would he take the time to do all of this for me and for you? Because God loves his sheep. Amen? That means that God loves you personally. He loves you He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you because God wants a relationship with you. And so as we look for peace this morning, I promise you that we will not find peace out there in the midst of the chaos. Amen? We will not find it. It'll it'll always fall to shambles out there. Things will always fall apart. And if you're in the midst of a great time right now and circumstances couldn't be better, enjoy it while it lasts. Because it will not last forever. Amen? I can can look back at our life and see the roller coaster that life is. Where things couldn't be better. And then things couldn't be worse. And then things couldn't be better again. Only to be worse again. Amen? It's just not as much fun as a real roller coaster. Right? Very rarely are my hands up. Right? But that's what life is. We won't find peace out there. We won't even find peace in here apart from Christ. We can try to fill our lives with anything and everything. We can pick up a new hobby every other week. We can can try to find a new relationship or a, a new thing, a new career, a new whatever. We can keep trying to find peace in here. But apart from Christ, there is no peace. And what we find is that we can find peace by focusing on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by focusing on His sovereignty, by focusing on His shepherding, and then finally, by focusing on His deliverance. Look in verse 5. Verse 5 begins, And He shall be their peace. Now pause for a minute. He says that He will be their peace. Well, He hasn't yet been born at the time of this prophecy. 
As a matter of fact, he's going to go on in verses 5 and 6 to recount what's going to happen as Assyria invades Israel. And what Micah is saying, what God is saying through Micah, is Israel, you're going to find peace even in the midst of invasion, even in the midst of war, even in the midst of being overtaken. You're going to find peace in knowing that a Savior is coming. But you're still going to be taken captive. You're still going to go through judgment. You're still going to go through all the pain and despair that this entire book prophesizes about. But you're going to be able to find peace even in the midst of all that because of the promise of the Savior that is to come. Notice what he says as we continue on in verse 5. And he will be their peace when the Assyrians come into our land and treads in our palaces. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and reads, or excuse me, treads within our border. Verses 5 and 6. They discuss what's coming for the nation of Israel. And it's not just going to be the invasion of Assyria, but following the invasion of Assyria is going to also be the invasion of Babylon. Following Babylon is going to be 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak to the nation of Israel. In other words, wave after wave of God's judgment is about to come. I I love going to the beach and watching children in the waves, right? And I love it because I'm a mean person. I love watching the waves smack the child and knock the child down and roll them over. Right? Only for the child to stand up looking to mommy and daddy for help, which are on the beach. Right? Not looking at what's coming behind them, which is what? Another wave. Boom! Here it comes. And it's even more fun when mom and dad get in on the rescue only to also get taken out by the wave, right? And it's just wave after wave after wave. And the child stands up and goes, is there ever going to be an end? And there's not. There's always another wave to come. Well, that's what Israel's facing in God's judgment. Assyria is going to come. Babylon's going to come. And silence is going to come. Rome's going to come. And it's going to be wave after wave after wave of God's judgment. But God promises there is an end to the judgment. A Savior is going to come. He's going to be the peace of Israel and He's going to provide everything that Israel needs to overcome their enemies. Notice notice seven shepherds, eight princes. What does that mean? Well, it means that there's going to be more than enough that God is going to provide so that Israel can overcome their enemy. And history tells us Israel overcame Assyria. Israel overcame Babylon. Israel overcame even Rome. Israel has been provided for by God. But who is it that has delivered Israel? It's God. Again and again and again and again. But what we oftentimes fail to remember is that Israel's greatest enemy was never the nations around them. Israel's greatest enemy was always their sin. Why does God allow Assyria to invade? Why Babylon? To judge the nation of Israel for their sin. Because Israel continued to reject the Lord their God. 
And even today, they continue to reject the Lord their God. And so what God does in sending Jesus, he doesn't send Jesus to rescue them from their national enemies. He sends Jesus to overcome their greatest enemy, which is sin. And the same enemy that Israel faced then is the same enemy that we face today. Sin plagues us and all mankind, separating us from the goodness of God. And that is precisely why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And it was through the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Christ that our sins have been paid for, that death and the grave has been overcome. And that is a truth that all of us can celebrate and appreciate. But it is a truth that we must accept and put our faith in if it's going to actually matter to us. You see, the reality is, it is true that Jesus Christ came to this earth born of a virgin, and we celebrate that at Christmas. Our kids just did an incredible job of of showing us that picture this morning. But that same babe in a manger didn't say a babe in a manger. He came with a purpose, and that purpose was to head to the cross where he would die as a sacrifice and payment for our sins. Because God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Someone has to die to pay for sin. That's why God sent Jesus, so that Jesus could die on a cross as a payment for our sin. And that not only would he die for our sin, but death in the grave would not hold him. Because he wasn't a man like us. He was fully man and fully God. And so he overcame death in the grave. He resurrected back from the dead, securing our future hope of resurrection. And he did all of this because God loves us and God wants a relationship with us. And so what does Jesus say in Mark chapter 1? He says the kingdom of God is beginning. The kingdom of God has finally come. It is at hand. And if you want to be a part of that kingdom, you must first and foremost repent of your sins. Acknowledge that you are a sinner and that your sin is a big deal and that it separates you from God. You say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I might even agree with that. Doesn't matter how good or how bad you are, you and I are sinners, amen? Amen. We have fallen well short of God's glory, which is perfect. And therefore, my sin, your sin, separates us from God. Jesus says, repent of your sin. How? By believing in him. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is what we celebrate this time of year. That Jesus Christ came, that he died, and that he rose from the dead. And when we believe that, we believe not only that the Bible is true and that Jesus Christ really did those things, but we believe them to the point that we want to receive him as our Lord and our Savior. How do we prove that? We prove that by what Jesus tells the disciples a few verses later when he says to them, follow me. I point this out almost every Sunday. I find it fascinating. The devil and the demons believe. Belief's not enough. So wait a minute. We just heard. Peyton just quoted John 3.16. For whosoever believes. Well, yeah, but you got to know what that word means. That word belief isn't talking about knowledge. That word belief speaks of faith. And faith is never without action. 
Faith is always proved by action. If I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then I will gladly surrender my life to him as my Lord and my Savior, and therefore I will follow him. You see, too often, especially those of us that grew up in this southern Bible Belt area like I did, we feel like if we just pray a prayer one day, we just walk an aisle, get dunked by the pastor in the baptismal pool, that we're good. We believe. But what I'm asking you this morning is, are you following? Are you following? You say, well, if I follow, will life get better and easier? No, not a chance. It's actually going to get more complicated and difficult. You say, well, that's, that's not a great sales pitch. Not trying to sell it. Amen? It is what it is. They hated our Lord and Savior. They hung him on a cross. They will hate us too. This world will not appreciate what we believe and what we teach. But this world is not what we're living for. This world is just where we're hanging out until that chief shepherd appears. And calls us to our eternal home. Amen. So let me encourage you. If you're here this morning. And you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And demonstrated that by following him. Let me encourage you. Today can be the day. That your eternity is changed. And that your eternal life is secured. Today can be the day that you can come before the Lord and say. God forgive me for my sins. I do believe in who Jesus is. I do believe in what he accomplished on the cross and I am finally willing and ready to follow him in my life. If that's you today, then in just a few moments, we're gonna sing our hymn of invitation. That just means that that's your chance to respond to what God has done in your life. I'll be down here amidst the hay bales, right? And you just come and say, Will, I I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know there's a lot of folks here this morning and you may be like, there's no way I'm walking down that aisle. I'm too too scared, I'm nervous. Man, that's fine. Don't leave without talking to me though. Find me after and and say, I want to talk to you about giving my life to Jesus. But if you feel God speaking to you right now, don't say no to him. I can't prove to you any better that God loves you and God wants a relationship with you than the fact that God's speaking to you right now. So if you feel God speaking, if you feel God calling, answer his call, amen? And believer, let me ask you, are you trusting Jesus enough as your good shepherd that you're following him? Knowing that he is leading, feeding, and protecting you? knowing that one day he is going to come back, are, are you really following Jesus? Because as we've all learned, following Jesus isn't a one-time commitment, amen? It's an everyday, oftentimes moment-by-moment commitment. And so if you're here and you haven't been following Jesus well, but you are a believer, let me encourage you. Let today be the day that you confess that is sin, you repent of that, and you commit yourself back to the Lord that you want to start following him. Will you pray with me? We can find peace this morning by focusing on his sovereignty, by focusing on his shepherding, and by focusing on his deliverance. Jesus Christ has come to this earth. He has died. He is resurrected from the dead. 
And he has done that to deliver us from our sins. So let me ask you, do you have peace this morning? If not, then this is your opportunity to give your heart and life to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Believer, this is your opportunity to confess your sin and to put your faith in him as you commit to following him once again. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that your will would be done now as we seek to follow you faithfully now. Lord, wherever you lead, we want to follow. So Lord, lead and guide us now during this invitation. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.